Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala khatamil anbiya wal mursaleen Muhammadin al-Ameen wa ala alihi wa ashabihi atayibin atahirin wa matabi'ahum bi ihsani la yumbidin amma ba'd Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima allimtana wa zidna ilma Allahumma inna nasalaka ilman nafi'a wa amalan mutakabbala wa rizqan halalan wasi'a wa shifa'a min kulli da Allahumma inna na'udhu bika min ilmin la yanfa'u min qalbin la yakhsha'u min nafsin la tashba'u min dua'in la yusma' Allahumma inna na'udhu bika min ha'ulai al-arba'a Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqtatan min lisani yafqahu qawli My dear spirit brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh These are very few of you want to cover a few ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that focusing on some practical lessons that we can implement, very uh, basic hadith. These hadith today, um, we do not necessarily need to delve into more uh, academic discussions, but rather how we can uh, apply this in our, life, in, our, in our lives, insha'Allah. Um, in this hadith that we have in front of us, Rasulullah mentioned, and Abdullah ibn Amrin radiallahu anhuma, عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويده The true Muslim is the one who avoids harming Muslims with his tongue in his hands. So one question comes here is that um, if a person does not have uh, any ibadah to his credit, he's not performing salah, he's not giving the zakat, he's not going for hajj, and um, maybe he even has problems in his mu'amalat, in his dealings, or even his aqaid, and he just ensures that Muslims are not hurt from his tongue and his hand. Does that now mean he is a complete Muslim? Absolutely not the case. So this is sometimes wrong interpretations people take from such a hadith. The reality is that we have to take the entire deen together. We can never understand one hadith and give up the rest of the ahadith, rest of the ayat of the Qur'an. We have to understand the deen in its totality. So, over here, you know, everyone has their perspective. For example, the famous old uh, myth, uh, not uh, myth would not be the right term for it, but rather the fable is the right word. The fable uh, of the different individuals were describing the elephant. The blind individuals were describing the elephant. So the one blind he's a person, he goes. now. Of course, by, de- by definition, if they're blind, that means they're, they do not have sight, so they are going to describe the elephant based on uh, their perception of feeling it. So one blind individual, he was asked, can you describe the elephant? He said, it is like a pillar, because he t- felt the, the leg of the elephant. The other one said, it is a sharp, long thing. He felt the tusk. The other one said, it's, he felt the trunk. And the other one felt the ears. So whichever portion of the elephant they felt, they said, oh, that's how the elephant is. Um, right. So they, they, feel, they feel things with their hands, and that is how they describe. So they felt just a, a portion of it. Uh, we, and then they, they felt that is the entire uh, description of the elephant. So today we had, there were some guests that came, and there were some kheer that we with a rice pudding that was served. It reminded me of a story our Hibz Ustad used to mention about teri kheer, the crooked kheer. So we said, how is it teri crooked? Because one mother, she made the kheer one time, then she told, which is a rice pudding that most of us are familiar with. 
there are some from other backgrounds may not have heard the term. It's basically uh, cooked rice with milk. It's a dessert item. And teri means it's crooked. So how in the world would the dessert be crooked? So she made some care. Maybe she had some leftover extra. Then she said to the son, go give it to the imam in the masjid. The imam saw was blind. So the boy, he brought the kir. Now he, he does not have the ability to speak um, in detail. And, you know, if he's put on the spot, interrogated, he, he, he did not know how to respond. He's a young child. So the imam said, what is this? He said, oh, this is some dessert my mother made. So he said, what is it? He said, I, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> Just my mom told me, give this to you. I don't know more beyond that. I don't know, I just have to give this to you, that's it. Sometimes, you know, the little child, he gets stressed out. So then he said, okay, describe it for me, what is it? So then he said, uh, I don't know, um, it's white. So, so, so then, then the, the blind imam, he said, what is white? Describe white, subhanAllah. So likewise, for example, I just see uh, there was a blind qari, that uh, we were sitting in the class in the courtyard, and the windows were open, and I saw Mawlana Farhan, he was guiding him into the first time he came from Egypt, and he did the Qirat here. What is his name? Abdullah Kamil, Sheikh Abdullah Qari Abdullah Kamil. So when he was walking in, he was holding his, and he was coming into the courtyard, but uh, what is he seeing? He, you know, he has no idea where he's going, what the, mashallah, the beautiful structure on him, he cannot determine that. But this is secondary, he can't even see the face of his wife and his child, he can't see anything. Allah Akbar. So, anyway, he said, What is white? Then he said, I, I don't know, um, you know, the crane is a type of a bird, right? The crane, so, he said, It's the bird, like the bird, the crane bird is white. So, he said, How is the crane? What does a crane look like? Now the kid was getting shocked. He said, what should I do? So he said, it's like this. So he, <laughs> he put his hand up. He said, it's like this. And he bent his, for those who are online listeners, uh, he bent his hand forward. He said, it's like this. So then the blind man, he put his hand and he said, oh, ye to bo teri hai. <laughs> he said, this is so crooked. How in the world is it going to go down my throat? Just, I don't want this. Take it away from here. So that's how it became the dairy care, right? So anyway, we, we are like that. We think this person so made such a blunder and he's so foolish that he thinks that, you know, uh, the kir is teary. It's not. It's very smooth and, you know, um, creamy. And you just, you don't have to chew anything. If you have no teeth also, you can swallow it. By the way, the, you know, this bid'ah that, uh, that uh, they make kunde for sheikh, uh, that is a complete false story. Who is that about? The, uh, Imam Jafar said, no, it's Uwais Qarni. Yeah, it's Uwais Qarni. Uwais Qarni rahmatullah was a great tabi'i from Yemen. He actually was going to become a sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu He was alive in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu He wrote a letter to Rasulullah He accepted Islam in the era of Rasulullah sallallahu But he, his parents were very, uh, his mother in particular was, mentioned in the hadith, was very sick and needed his khidmah. And he asked Rasulullah sallallahu can I come to? Medina to uh, meet you, I have already accepted Islam because Rasulullah had sent the, uh, the, the da'wah had been given to Yemen, Sayyidina Ali and Mu'adh bin Jabal were sent there, they had accepted Islam without any armed struggle or opposition. 
That's why Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam praised the Ahlul Yaman And there are chapters of uh, hadith about the virtues of Ahlul Yaman in the books of hadith In Kitabul Manaqib, you have Manaqib of the Iman of Yaman Al-Imanu Yamaniya wal-Hikmatu Yamaniya The people of Yemen have the wisdom in Iman So he accepted Islam and, he, and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told him that you know, uh, Your responsibility is to take care of your mother now Subhanallah Fafima Fajahid the khidmah of the mother is so important. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told Abu Bakr and Umar radiallahu anhu that he will, when he will come from Yemen, you should ask him to make dua. This is fadila juziyah, not kulliyah. It doesn't mean that his status is higher than Siddiq and Farooq radiallahu anhu shaykhin from the Khulafa Rashidun. The two seniors. The four Khulafa are the four in-laws. Two father-in-laws, two son-in-laws. Right? So Abu Bakr and Umar are two father-in-laws and Uthman and Ali are Two son-in-laws. So anyway, these are the shaykhin, the two senior ones. Not, their maqam is higher. But uh, it, it, also, it also shows that uh, afdal can ask mafdul. A person has a higher level can ask one of a lower level to make dua. Like Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, on one occasion he asked Umar radiallahu anhu, can there be any doubt about Rasulullah's maqam and position being higher than Umar Farooq? Umar Farooq became Umar Farooq because he became a slave of Mustafa. So Rasulullah told Umar My dear brother Do not forget me in your dua And Umar said He said such a statement That I would be most Happy and glad To trade the entire world In exchange for that one statement When he asked me to make dua for him I cannot believe it I cannot get over the pleasure of that statement So likewise uh, Nabi told the them to make dua for Uwais Khani. Uwais Khani, rahimullah, he was from Yemen, great uh, tabi'i. Could have been a sahabi, but ended up being a tabi'i. There are different opinions about who is the Sayyid of Tabi'in, the best of the Tabi'in. One qawl is that it is Uwais Khani, based on his zuhud and his taqwa, but he would be hiding from the people. He was like uh, DL, as I say, down low, Sheikh. Uh, there are some people who are very down low. And then there's a Sa'idain, the two Sa'ids. Sa'id ibn Jubair of Makkah and Sa'id ibn Musayyib of Medina. There are different opinions about them also being the Sayyid of Tabi'in. There's two, there's actually there's so many great Tabi'in, it's hard to choose which one would be the best, and Allah knows best. And Allah will judge who is the best one. Allah. So anyway, about Uwais Qarni, this, so this is an ajeeb, mawdu' fabricated narration that Uwais Qarni rahmatullah fabricated. The following story is fabricated it's not real okay. problem is people are turning and tuning in online after I mentioned it's fabricated so I'll say it's fabricated at the end once again so the thing <laughs> so then because you can't see it every second right hmm? that's why when you are in interfaith gatherings we say that this the following is what we believe as Muslims but every single statement I'm not going to say that that this is what we believe as Muslims this is what we believe as Muslims you are you can have your belief you have our belief I'm not, because one of the usul of, uh, of interfaith is you're not, you're, not, um, you're not giving da'wah, you're just explaining your religion, and they're supposed to explain their religion. As Muslims, we believe that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross. Allah elevated him. But every statement. Likewise, this following story is fabricated. So, he said, he heard that Rasulullah in the battle of Uhad, uh, his tooth became shaheed. Dandani Mubarak shaheed. Dandan is the Farsi word for tooth. So he said, Oh, my Nabi, his tooth became shaheed. 
and I have all my teeth? Does how in, in showing love, which is one of the chapters coming up, Hubba Rasulullah How is it possible? So he took a stone and he hit his tooth and his, he broke his one tooth. Then after that, yeah, and this, this, this is a reality. This part is not fabricated that it, it did happen. In the battlefield of Uhad, the battlefield of Uhad, Allah, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and he, the situation got so bad that the, 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 the Sahaba would be always guarding Rasulullah So the Mushrikeen at one point, they penetrated the inner circle of guards and they got so close that one of them with his sword, Allahu Akbar, he uh, uh, struck the face of Rasulullah And then there were, um, uh, there was an armor, a chain armor that Nabi Sallallahu was wearing in, in the form of a helmet to protect from the arrows. So there are interlocking chains of uh, iron, made of iron. That was the, the design that was originated by Dawud alayhi salam. li Dawud al-Hadid. That Allah Ta'ala has softened the Hadid, iron for Dawud alayhi salam. So instead of having to take the difficulty of heating up the stove with wood and coal and raising the temperature of the iron to soften it, right? Soften the iron when it starts melting and then you can uh, mold it into the desired shape. He would do it with his bare hands. So he started this process of making the armor in that manner and then it continued on. So now what happened is that the force of the blow was so severe that those chains of armor, they penetrated through his cheek and went into his gums and they forced the, the tooth out. So it's not, it wasn't some clean extraction in the dental office, right? It was going through, it was an injury outside, external, through the cheek and into the uh, gums, forcing the tooth out. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he put his hand on his, on his, on his face and it was bleeding. Obviously he's bleeding, he's going through all the teeth, the tooth that are coming out. And then he said, the maximum word, what did he say? كَيْفَ يُفْلِحُ قَوْمٌ شَجُّ وَجْهَ نَبِيِّهِمْ كَيْفَ يُفْلِحُ قَوْمٌ شَجُّ وَجْهَ نَبِيِّهِمْ How can such people ever be successful when they have bloodied the face of their Prophet? So, one time, uh, obviously I'm not going to mention which dentist, but I went to one dentist's office for um, this thing. Um, wisdom tooth removal. So he said that, you know, there's one system where you can get like full anesthesia, half anesthesia, or this one, or the, or you can have the gas, la laughing gas, or you just, you know, straight up. So I said, inshallah, uh, it's okay, I'll just go with any, without anything. Obviously, I'm sure he put some injection local. Uh, inshallah, I don't need, I'll just try it. Bismillah, tawakkaltu ala Allah. So, <laughs> I was... <laughs> This is, didn't go well, right? Then I was sitting, I was thinking that, SubhanAllah, you know, it's like dental school, you go through so much residency, it must be like some really fine art of removing the tooth. But in this particular case, <laughs> it was like brute, basically, you just, huh? Brute force. You just put like a, uh, um, pliers and just got a good grip on it, right? Then it's pretty much huffing and puffing. <laughs> Like for physical labor, pulling, pulling, and he was just like sweating, sweating, and he's pulling and pulling. Subhanallah. So I was, I was like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> so I was holding on to the chair. 
Then I was like, okay, so is, where, where, is there any, you, you, can you just say stop and I'm getting out of here? No, you can't, right? You got to get through the process. So then what, so there are different azkar. Different azkar have what? Different properties. La ilaha illallah, illallah, it's jalali kalam. And what is a very calming one? You need to, what do you need to do here? If you're getting anxiety, you're feeling very anxious. Oh my God, this is very painful. You're feeling anxiety. What do you, what do, you do to calm down? Durood Sharif, bilkul. Right, so Durood Sharif has a very calming effect. Sallallahu alayhi wa Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya Rabbi, salli wa sallim daiman abada ala habibu khayr al-khalqi kullihimi. So, I started reciting salawat to myself. Then, what you can do to help in this particular situation, I started making muraqabah. I said, why don't laka ya minhaj? Woe unto you. <laughs> Why are you, you know, you're Abd Haqir Faqir Mudhnib. Ana Mukti'un, Ana Mudhnibun, Ana A'asi, Anta Rahimun, Anta Ghafirun, Anta Aafi. Qabaltuhunna thalathatan bithalathatan. Fasataghribanna sifatuka sifati. So you, I am the sinner, you are the forgiver of Allah. If I compare my sins with your forgiveness, then your, your forgiveness will overcome my sins because your sifat, sifat, sifat. I said that, you know, think about Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Time to make muraqaba. Muraqaba, because you don't have the laughing gas, you don't have anesthesia, nothing going on. You chose it. You willingly signed <laughs> I don't need all of the above. So now you got to deal with it. So make muraqaba, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Did, was he, you know, this is a quote unquote hopefully hygienic. Uh, uh, dental office and it's a controlled environment to a certain extent <laughs> but Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was in the heat of the battle to make the sower of that and he's getting sm- 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 smacked on his um, he mean he was smitten with the the sword is hurting attacking him on his on his uh, on his face and his tooth is coming out what type of extraction was that what type of extraction is this your Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam went through so much pain. So you start thinking about that. When you start thinking about the pain of Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what happens to your own pain? It goes away. You realize it's, it's insignificant. It doesn't even count. Don't be worse. Don't be a sissy. Don't be weak. Imagine the pain of Rasulullah And then you continue to recite salawat. And then it became easier to bear. So this is a tip, practical tip, if you are ever in such a situation. Anyway, so he said that, then after he took out one tooth, who did? in the fabricated narration then he said how do I know it was this one maybe it was the other one oh yeah so then he took out the other one then he said how do I know it was this one the process continues he took out the other one so he intentionally voluntarily what did he do he broke out all of his teeth all of his teeth were taken out who did it voluntarily he did it so then now he has like you know they do complete reconstruction right they take out all the teeth and they huh? Redo the teeth. There was no one going to redo his teeth for him in this story. And now his whole mouth is bleeding, all the top, complete bleeding, bottom bleeding. So then his mother, she comes back in the story. She had, she had so much concern for her son that, oh my God, he doesn't have teeth anymore. So then she said, I will make the cure for him. So then she made the cure. So to, to commemorate that, the cure is made. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billahi al-alina. So this is, these, are, these are the different innovations. But by the way, the teeth falling out, uh, this is, we talked about teeth falling out in real life. There is a story of, the, well, this is from the ilmu ta'bir, ta'bir ru'ya, interpretation of dreams about the teeth falling out. It, it does have a very uh, negative uh, connotation and interpretation if a person sees his teeth falling out. So when we were studying Farsi once upon a time, 
so we studied the beginning, the the grammar, our, our, dand, our, di, our, de, our, dam, our, dam, like the surf, the morphology of the verbs. Then, for, just like we do Qasas al-Nabiyin lil-Atfal in Arabic, the story is the prophets. So we had a book in a Farsi adab called Lataif al-Farsi, Farsi jokes. <laughs> so there were different stories in Hikayat in Farsi to learn the language. That was the primer, the reader. So there was a joke in there or a story, but there's a lesson. And it's a very beautiful lesson about how to, how to speak. And the way you present your case and the way you talk, it could, it could have a profound effect. It could be a matter of life and death. Or, and you can say the same thing, but it depends on how you present your case. So in there, I remember there was a story that there was a Bacha Khabdidan. He saw a dream. A king, he saw a dream. And in his dream, he saw that one of his tooth fell off. And then another tooth fell off, and a third, and a fourth, and all of his top teeth, they fell off, and then all of his bottom teeth fell out. So it was, he, it was, he was terrified, he woke up. What kind of dream is this? What happened? So then he called the Mu'abbir Awal, the first wazir who was the interpreter of the dreams. And he told him that I am very, very sorry, right? To, that I have to be the bearer of such sad news, but I have to give you the correct, accurate, interpretation. So what is the, the desire of the king? The desire of the king, of course, is that I have my kingdom and I live as long as possible and enjoy my kingdom. But then after I die, what does he want? He wants the kingdom to remain in his family and his son should become the king. Not too early, he doesn't want him to, you know, take over the power earlier than it has to be. But eventually when he dies, he wants the, his son. He doesn't want the kingdom to go to his enemies. So he said that the interpretation of this dream is that in, while you are alive, then one by one, every single member of your extended royal family, from your core family to your cousins, all of them will die. And you will leave this world with this certain knowledge that this kingdom will pass in the, into the hands of others. Because no one is left from your entire family. So what happened? He was so enraged. He said, you know, you're saying everyone's going to die. What are you going to think he's going to do? Let's start with you, right there, exactly. That's a typical ending, right? Off with the head, right? So he, he, so he called the Jalad. The Jalad is the one who is the executioner. And they brought the rope and they, they hung that guy. So the body was hanging. He just died and is fresh dead. Then he called the Mu'abbir Sani, the second interpreter. Now he's sitting on his throne. So he called him and he said that this is the same question, same dream. He said, give me the interpretation. So the guy, he's looking at the king, he's sitting on his throne. And then if he just looks on his right, what does he see? Swinging body. Few minutes ago, the same question was asked and what happened? He gave the answer. It was actually the correct answer. And what is happening? He's just swinging now, lifeless body, hanging there, broken neck. So he's thinking, how much time do you have to think? Not much time. He has to give the answer right away. So he started off by saying, that, O oh, Basha Salamat, from, O oh, oh, noble king, from the time I was born till today, this is the most Mubarak and blessed and happiest day of my life. He said, really? He said, yeah. Why? Because I've been asked to interpret such a Mubarak, blessed dream. So, <laughs> so then he says, really? How is that? He says that this dream, I have been selected for this honor, to share this greatest good news with you, 
my life is the best day of my life. He said, what is the meaning of the dream? Tell me. He says that, subhanAllah, from your extended family, khandan and tribe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you so much that He will give you the longest life. <laughs> from everyone in your family, you will be granted what? Ultimate longest life. He said, really? So, wow, thanks for such a great interpretation. And then he said, the first one he called the Jallad, the Exudish. Second one he calls the Khazanchi, right? He calls the treasure, bringing for them the bags of Ashrafiya, the gold coins. So he, he takes the bags of gold coins and then he says, Assalamu alaikum, and very quickly he gets out of there as <laughs> fast as he can go. Mm. So the point is that both of them said the exact same thing, but one was hung and one who received the gold coins. So this is, this is the art of speech. How to approach the situation. Mardum shanasi, moka shanasi, depending on who you're speaking to, where you're speaking, how to approach. It's important uh, art to learn that we, our mashayikh had, and subhanAllah, uh, may Allah ta'ala grant it to us. This is called hikmah, one of the elements of, one of the aspects of hikmah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, yu'til hikmata. Allah Ta'ala grants hikmah and wisdom to whom He wishes. Whoever is granted hikmah has been granted abundant goodness. So, anyway, we are talking about people, the blind individual, whichever portion of the elephant he sees, and that's where we started off with the blind sheikh who said the teary kir, crooked kir. So, we said that the blind people, when the blind men, there were, I believe there were nine or so, Allah Alam in the fable, they go and they describe the elephant. Someone says that sees the trunk, someone sees the, uh, someone sees the legs, someone sees the trunk, someone sees the uh, tusks, the ears, and the body. Someone, the one who touched the body said, the elephant, describe it, he's like a wall. So what are we doing? We are taking hadith out of context, and not looking at the whole picture. And we, are giving, we end up giving a false picture. So when you take this hadith, we say, The true Muslim is the one people are safe from his tongue and his hands. Then we'll say that all you got to do to be a true Muslim is make sure you do not hurt anyone. Be nice and kind and you are the true Muslim. The rest of the ibadat and prayers are inconsequential. So that is a wrong interpretation. So there are kuyu, there are clauses that may be mentioned and may not be mentioned. And where do we come up with these additional clauses? By looking at the entire deen. What is the clause here? Along with muraat, meaning take, <coughs> making riaya, considering the rest of the obligations. So, al Muslimu, the true Muslim is the one, Salim al Muslimun, Amil Lisani, with the other Muslims are safe from his tongue in his hand. Ma'a muraati sa'iril ahkam. Along with, along with considering all of the remaining injunctions. As long as you're fulfilling all the injunctions, then on top of it, other Muslims are safe from his tongue in his hand. Now that person is going to be what? A complete Muslim. A perfect Muslim. Um, and then the second question comes here from the word Salim al-Muslimun. Muslims are safe from his tongue in his hand. Does that mean that he can harm non-Muslims? No. He cannot harm non-Muslims. In fact, Muslim and non-Muslim are categories of human beings. And beneath human, human beings are a higher level. They're Ashraf al-Makhluqat, the best of the creation. وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ He honored the children of Adam. The non-Muslims are also what? Children of Adam. Non-Muslims are also human beings. So forget about non-Muslim human beings. They are underneath the human beings. You have the 
maqam of hayawanat, animals. So harming an animal is also haram. There are so many hadith about it. Rasulullah mentioned about the woman who is performing all her salah, but she does not feed her cat, right? And we all know about the hadith. Even like starring the cat, okay, that's pretty extreme. How about just for a while the sahaba, if they're on their camels, and then they meet someone after a long time, and they pause, and they're talking to each other. They're not talking, you know, till sundown. They're just talking for a few minutes. They have to go on. But even that period of time that they're talking to each other, the Prophet said, why are you making your camels like karasi, like chairs? You know, don't have to unnecessarily burden them with all the weight on top of them, and you're there and you're talking. Get off and talk. Subhanallah. Look at how merciful Rasulullah was. Um, and you cannot do target practice with animals. There's so many hadith about animals. So we cannot hurt animals, much less disbelievers. So why are Muslimun mentioned here? So one is kharaja makhraj al-ada. This is because habitually the Muslims were living with Muslims. They were interacting with Muslims in Madinah Munawwara and the Darul Islam in the Islamic environment. They're interacting with Muslims. So that is why it is being mentioned. Like Allah Ta'ala says about the Muslim society, the men, they interact with men and the women interact with, with women. So Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amnushtanimu kathiran min adha'i inna ba'adhani ithmu wa la tajassasu or the ayah before that, what is it? Ya ayyuhalladheena amnushtanimu kathiran min adha'i inna ba'adhani ithmu wa la tajassasu wa la yaqtub ba'adhakum ba'adha yuhibbu ahadakum ay yaakul ma'akhiyya maytan fakrihtum wa taqullahi inna Allah tawabu rahim Ya ayyuhalnaasu inna khalaqnaakum min dhakari wa untha wa ja'alnaakum shu'ubam wa qabaila lita'arafu inna akramakum indallahi itqaqum Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about Nisa, yeah, the ayah says, وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّن نِسَاءٍ عَسَاءٍ يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُنْ Allah Ta'ala says that لا يسخر yeah, لا يسخر خوم من قبن عَسَاءٍ يَكُنُّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُمْ Men should not mock other men, perhaps the men that you are mocking are better than you are. وَلَا نِسَاءٌ مِّن نِسَاءٍ عَسَاءٍ يَكُنَّ خَيْرًا مِّنْهُنْ Nor should women mock other women because the women that you are mocking may be better than you or women who are mocking them. So why is it separated like this? That, oh men, you should not mock, mock other men because the men that you are mocking may be better than you. And oh women, you should not mock women because the women you are mocking may be better than you. It is, it is even though generally everything is included together in the Quran, but they're separated here because uh, to highlight the fact that in social gatherings, when people are together, that's where they end up falling into all of these sins of ghibah and backbiting and mocking. And in a Muslim society, um, it is not possible for men to be mocking women or women to be mocking men because they wouldn't be mixing. Men would be meeting with men. So that's why the possibility of men mocking men exists. And women would be meeting with women, so the possibility of women mocking women would exist. That's why based on the Muslim mu'ashara, those things have been highlighted and said that that should not happen. So likewise, Muslims would be intermingling with Muslims. And there is such a... Uh, Profound wisdom we see of Umar bin Khattab عنه, that in his Khilafah uh, he is the founder of Kufa and Basra, the two cities in Iraq. So he, he selected the, in fact the site of where the city should be. Like this whole modern uh, subject of city planning. When is you plan the architecture of a home? When is you plan an entire city? So he was, he's a, uh, one of the major de uh, developers of this whole study in science of city planning. 
Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala an. So he selected the site where the city should be. Then he drew up the plans for the whole city. He said, these are the different quarters where the different tribes are going to live. And each section would have their own local masjid. Then there was a jami', a big masjid where they would perform Jumu'ah. And this is the commercial district where the souq and the bazaar will be. And the entire city, he drew up the plans. And why did he found the city of Kufa and Basra? Is because the Persians, they did not all of a sudden accept Islam the way that the Byzantine Empire people, the Christians of Sham did. So there were two, two empires, right? There's a, the Sassanid Empire, the Persian Empire in the east, and then there's the Eastern Roman Empire, ironically they're in the west from Arabian perspective. They call the Eastern Roman Empire, east of the Western Roman Empire <laughs> in, in, in modern day Italy. So uh, anyway, the Christians and the fire worshippers. So the Christians, they accepted Islam by and large. So in Sham, in Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Palestine, of today, Jordan, they accepted Islam. So he didn't form individual Muslim cities. He didn't establish that. So Dimashq, for example, Damascus is one of the oldest continually inhabited city. It was already an ancient city in the time of Rasulullah But in the east, the Persians did not accept Islam. They held on to their culture. You know what, as Islam spread in the west, what happened? Do you think Moroccans spoke Arabic? Absolutely not. Tunisians, Libyans, they have nothing to do with Arabia. They're all the way northwest Africa. Why are they speaking Arabic? Because as Islam spread in the West, the language Arabic spread. But in the East, what happened? It came blocked right there with Persia, Iran. Farsi. I was speaking about Farsi few minutes. We learned Farsi too. Why? Because as Islam spread east, what spread? Farsi spread. Instead of Arabic spreading, the Muslim language became Farsi. So as so as Islam is spreading the East, what's spreading? Farsi is spreading. And Shawaliullah Dahlawi was so much later, he's the first person ever to translate the Quran into Farsi. And then his sons, uh, they translated it for the first time into Urdu, which is the language of the army camps. Because the, in the armies, the Mughals, there were some people speaking uh, Sanskrit original a little bit, then there's Farsi, then there's Arabic, then there's Turkish. And they all mixed it together and became Urdu. That's how Urdu was born, right? So anyway, so these Persians were not all accepting Islam. So Umar ta'ala anhu said, we don't want the Muslims to living with the non-Muslims. And uh, getting affected by their culture. So he, cre- he literally founded these Muslim majority or Muslim, I wouldn't say necessarily Muslim only cities, but definitely Muslim majority cities. Kufa and Basra. Uh, and he said, the Muslims, you should live here. Don't live in Madain, which was the capital of the Persian Empire, because it's a, dominated by the Majusi culture, Majusi ideology, and Majusi, Majusi religious practices. And of course, he didn't convert them by the sword. The, simp- the reason you can't convert by the sword is because it's impossible, even if you wanted to. right? Because what is the reality of faith? Belief in the heart. You can dictate outward behavior, but you cannot dictate the conditions of the Hard. Like if you say, okay, I'll kill you if you don't become a Muslim, then what will happen? Behave like a Muslim. So he may act like a Muslim, he may pray like a Muslim, but can you uh, rule what's inside his heart? No, he may be hiding his kufr inside the heart. Uh, so likewise, uh, like the Spanish Inquisition, the opposite, they force people to become Christian, but they're hiding the iman inside until they died. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, uh, He does not prohibit compulsion in faith, he negates the possibility of compulsion in faith. For example, the Quran doesn't say, لا تكرهو, uh, 
do not compel people to believe. Rather, Allah Ta'ala says, La ikraha fiddin. This is called the difference between nafi and nahi. One is negation and one is prohibition. The two things. This is a thing about this. One is negation, do negate, nafi. And one is nahi, prohibition. Do you, I, I do recall we talked about this maybe in this class or some other class. Do you remember the difference between nafi and nahi? Anybody can share? From the, no? Okay. I don't want to waste your time. Up regular. Okay, so okay, then I'm not wasting time if I'm repeating it. So one is like, for example, if I, simple example is a eyesight. Okay, so if I tell you you have mashallah good, all, everyone sitting here has eyesight. We talked about blindness just a while ago. Now we're talking about eyes again. So if you have eyesight, Allah has given you. Then for you, I would, or Allah would, and the Allah has in fact, the Nabi Sallallahu has already, the Sharia has, and I would remind as well, and all of us would remind each other what with prohibition. Don't look at haram. Yes or no? Yeah. You tell, you could tell me too, in fact, and you should remind me and I should remind you. Don't look at haram. So when I say don't look at haram, this is prohibition. What is this? Prohibition. So prohibition means, in Arabic it's called nahi. You've heard of the term nahi anil munkar. Amar bil ma'roof. And nahi anil munkar. What does Amr bil Maruf mean? Inviting towards? Good. And Nahiyan and Munkar? Bring evil. But for good, there's so many words, right? Amr bil Hasana. Amr Hasanat is good deeds. And Amr bil Ita'a, obedience is good deed. Obedience of And since there's Nahiyan al Khati'ah, Nahiyan al Ma'asiyah, Nahiyan al Sayyiyah, why Nahiyan al Munkar? Because there's a lesson here in these words. Or Mufti Shafi Sahib mentions in Ma'arif al-Qur'an that for good deeds there's so many words and for sins there's so many words. But why is it Amr bil Ma'roof? And why is it Nahi'an in Munkar? Because Ma'roof linguistically means that which is well known. From Ma'rifa to know. Arif is the one who knows and Ma'roof that which is known. So Arif is the one who knows and Ma'roof that which is well known. So that which is well known to be the deen, you invite towards that. Meaning, what is well known? That in concerning which there is no ishtihadi ikhtilaf. So, for example, raising the hands in salah, rafal yadain, in the beginning is ma'roof. But before you go into ruku, after you come up from ruku, in between the sajdas and all of that, this rafal yadain is what? It's an ishtihadi matter. Or saying amin loudly, is that ma'roof? It's not. So, you will not have a campaign of Raf al-Yadain or campaign of Amin Biljar. Even though we have a Shafi Fiqh department here and we have a Shafi Faqih who came and visited us today after Dhuhr and we have Shafi'iyah here sitting with us. Sadatuna Shafi'iyah. They will not have a campaign Amr al-Ma'roof, right? Or likewise from the Hanifi perspective. And Nahi anil Munkar. What's Munkar? Ma ankarahu shar'u, ma ankarahu al-aqlu salim, ma ankarahu al-fitra, ma ankarahu that which has been rejected by the entire Sharia and there's no ikhtilaf. Like, uh, like uh, shrimp you cannot have a campaign against shrimp like we'll have a monthly seminar that shrimp is haram you better not eat shrimp if you eat shrimp you're gonna have a breath test outside right and if you smell like shrimp you're gonna kicked out of the masjid can you do that no why because there's the ikhtilaf remember yesterday it was funny because one of the brothers we were talking about uh, subhanallah we had, there was limited food right and there was fasting people are fasting for the which one no tech retreat digital detox and then that was digital detox. What was the second part of the title? Digital detox? 
There was a second part, Kata. That was pretty. Reconnecting with the? No, it wasn't reconnecting with the creator. It doesn't, doesn't have alliteration, repeated consonant. It was, it, was so, it, it was something else. You can look it up, tell me. So anyway, so then people are fasting. There's food for fasting. So somebody said, what are we going to do? Subhanallah. Somebody who had a background in hadith, he said, maybe we should have a breath test. <laughs> Rasulullah what did he say? وَلَا خَلُوفُ Clearing the clutter and reconnecting to reality. So there's three times there's a double consonant. See, digital detox, two Ds. Clearing the clutter, two Cs. Reconnecting to reality, two Rs. Right? Okay. So anyway, so Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, what he said, Khalufu Sa'im, the smell from the mouth of the fasting one is what? Aftiyabu Indallah. Is more pleasant in the eyes of Allah. Min min Indallahi from misk, from musk. Anyway, so you cannot have a campaign against shrimp or some because it's not a munkar. There's a ikhtilaf about it. Whether it's halal or haram. So Amr bin Maruf, you command towards that which is well known, there's no ikhtilaf. Nahi al munkar, you prohibit from that which is well known. And anyway, so that is that is important because people are, you know, you gotta stand like this in salah. You gotta you know, put your like um, connect the feet. And they're pushing and pushing and then you and if you're you're feeling uncomfortable, then he's going wider and wider and wider until it becomes like a whole Olympic sp- gymnastic splits going on, right? Splits proposes the other way though. <laughs> anyway, so, so then he's, he's saying you must connect the feet to the feet, right? Then there's a forcing. There's Amin bil Jahar, Amin bil Sir and Amin bil Shar. Okay, so forcefully, loudly. Amin bil Jahar is Amin. Amin bil Sir is quietly. And Amin bil Shar is you're forcing it and saying why aren't you saying it loud like me, right? There's an ikhtilaf in that matter. So, nahi anyway means to prohibit. Nahi means to prohibit. So you'll say, don't look at haram. Okay, now if there's a blind, I don't think we have anyone blind here to my knowledge. But if there's someone blind, would we tell the blind person, don't look at haram? No. We would not make nahi. What would we do in this case? Nafi. We would negate it. We would say that, oh, you cannot look at haram. In fact, you cannot look at halal because you cannot look at anything, right? So you cannot see anything, right? So, uh, subhanAllah, this is called nafi. One is called nahif. You understand the difference? One is to say, don't do it, that's prohibition. One is to say, you can't do it, that is negation. So this is the simplest example for us to see. Allah Akbar. So Allah Ta'ala in the Quran, He says, لا إكراه لا لنفي الجنس لنفي الجنس or نهي الجنس Okay, so Allah Ta'ala says, لا إكراه في الدين There is no compulsion in deen. Meaning, He negates it. He says, you cannot compel anyone in faith. He's not even saying, don't do it. He's saying, it can't happen. You got it? Uh, so this is something super obvious, right? But sometimes it becomes a very important thing when it comes to fiqh and ikhtilafat and deeper understanding. Like... Um, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, you should not divorce your wife when she's on her period. And Abdullah ibn Umar made that mistake. Then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to Umar, Mur ibn kafal yura ja'aha. Tell your son Abdullah to take his wife back in his nikar. And if he has to divorce her, he must divorce her when she's in state of tahara, tuhur. Not when she's in state of hayd. So Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prohibited it. 
he did not negate it. So what happens is, like in different cases, Mufti, no, my husband gave three talaq, it doesn't count, I was on my period. My nikah is intact. So the woman tells me, what is she, or whatever, the sister, or any case, she doesn't have to tell me, or in any case, she may believe wrongfully, mistakenly, she'll say, my talaq does not count. My marriage is still, why? Because when he gave me talaq, I was on my period. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, do not give talaq to your wife when she is on her period. So we have to explain, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not negate the talaq, he prohibited the talaq. Did he say the talaq doesn't count? No, what did he say? Don't do it. So, meaning the fact that the husband gave talaq when you're on a period, that is a masi, it's a sin. So the fact, it's a sin, it still is a sin and he'll get the sin for that. But he needs to what? Make tawbah. But does it mean it doesn't count? It doesn't mean it. It does not mean it doesn't count. I.e. it means it, it still counts. Double negative, right? It counts. So that's the difference between negation and prohibition. So there's so many important issues that can be resolved by understanding this. We study in Usul al Fiqh, Usul al Shashi, this term. So over here, Allah Ta'ala says, There can be no compulsion in faith. You can't even do it. Right? So all the people, they say that the Islam is spread by the sword. You remember the famous classical question? Actually, the classical question for the. In- uh, for the in-class essays, is the pen mightier or the sword? That's old school, right? Anyway, so like Rafidin, Subhanallah, is that there is no compulsion? They said the Islam spread by the sword, so you'll say it's impossible. Like Rafidin, there is no compulsion in faith. But the the path of guidance, the path of misguidance is clear. Whoever rejects all this kufr of ta'wut, of iblis, and and he believes in Allah, the al-haq, the ultimate truth, he's holding on firmly uh, to that which will grant him salvation. So there is no compulsion, yet Umar had so much basira, so much wisdom, he was uh, worried uh, th- yeah, that's why all these Persians are there That are Mujusis Who's the Khalifa? Who's their ruler? Umar bin Khattab Is there anyone stronger than him? No Because أَشَدُّهُمْ فِي أَمْرِ اللَّهِ Umar The strongest in implementing and enforcing the Sharia is Umar radiallahu In his inaugural address when he accepted the Khilafah People are afraid He said that look um, uh, Subhanallah, the one who will be the, mo- uh, the strongest person in this ummah that I will be most afraid of, I will be afraid of, and who is the strongest and the most qawi in my eyes, is whom? Is that mazloom and oppressed individual for whom I have not delivered justice? And the weakest insignificant person that I will trample over and I will destroy him from the entire ummah is whom? That zalim who, who thinks he can get away with his own. Subhanallah. Amazing. That's just one part of his first khutbah that he gave when he accepted Khilafah. So he was Ashaddahum Fiyamillah, the strongest. Yet did he compel the Persians to accept Islam? No. So these Persian people are doing their fire worshipping. They're continuing with their fire worship despite the fact that they're now under the Islamic Khilafah. So what did he tell the Muslims? Let's form our own cities of Kufa and Basra. So we do not fall under their influence. So Imagine a time and a period when the Muslims are the dominant religion. They are the ones who are the victorious. They are vanquishing the other empires simultaneously, both of them. 
and the entire concept of divide and conquer, which is known military principle, they turned that on its head by conquering both empires at the same time. They had double front, eastern front, western front, Fatul Sham, Fatul Iraq, happening at the same time. And, uh, and he's saying, no, 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 there is a potential that we can be influenced by these Majusis, therefore we need to have our own society. Isn't that scary? Because what about us? Are we the victors? And we have the Khilafat Islamiyah in the world, or we have been destroyed into pieces. And are we living in a Muslim society, or what type of society? Allah Akbar. So that's why we say to the Tanweer students, oh, you guys came for a one-year immersion program, you think you have a ticket for Jannah? Barely one-year immersion, but you have like a 70 years immersion in Kufr. The entire, so what is the 70 years immersion in Kufr versus Islam? In indecency versus Haya. In irreverence versus adab. So how much are you going to get with a one-year intensive? With a few hours, it's not even 24 hours. Right? So-called immersion. Right? So we are immersed in all of this. So we got to be more vigilant than anyone else. How much need for us to be vigilant and to find the righteous company and stay in the righteous company, stay attached to the Muslim. SubhanAllah. Because the rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the arsh to his kursi, subhanAllah. And from the kursi to the Baytul Ma'mur and Baytul Ma'mur to the Kaaba. And from the Kaaba, subhanAllah, where does the rahmah come? Inna awwala baytin wudi ala nasi lilladhi bi bakkata mubarakan wa hudan lil alameen. The barakat and hidayat come on the Baytullah. And just like, you know, the satellite dish, satellite dish, what does it do? It's focused to catch the signal. So the mihrabs of the entire world, they're focused towards the the Qibla, the Kaaba, the catching the signal of Barakat and Hidayah. And if, you are, if your house is attached to the masjid, you're in the network. You're connected to the network. And if your house is not attached to the masjid, you're disconnected from the network. Network of what? Hidayah and Barakah. In awwala baytin wa di'alina asli bi mubarakan wa hudan. Barakah and Hidayah from the Baytullah is connected from the masajid and your local masjid, you better be connected. Otherwise, you are disconnected. So we have to be connected. So the Muslims were living with Muslims and it was encouraged. And Umar anhu, everyone had their different sifat. He's known for his adl, his justice, he's known for his strong personality, etc. But one of his attributes was his foresight. His mulham. Rasulullah said mulham, meaning he receives ilham. Divine inspiration from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he had foresight. He would see potential fitnas and he would uh, uh, protect the ummah from those. So uh, subhanallah. So he saw like people jumping towards the Hajar Aswad to kiss it. Right? Before there was social distancing or anything. So he, he, they were jumping. So he saw them. And then he stopped. What did he, in the middle of the tawaf, what did he do? Long, loud proclamation. You do not benefit, you do not harm. It is, we are kissing you only because Rasulullah kissed you. Why did he do that? Because just one generation ago, these were the people worshipping the idols. So he saw that they're attaching too much reverence, hey, it may lead to shirk. And there's so many examples. In fact, in the life of Rasulullah there's 14 such examples about hijab, about what to do with the prisoners of Badr. The mashwara he gave, Allah Ta'ala revealed the ayat according to that. So now with Kufa, so Muslims should live with Muslims. And that is why it says here, Al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimun. But it's not to reject the kafirun. Now the kafirun, they're different tabaqat, the disbelievers. In the Darul Islam, in Islamic government, they are zimmiyun. Zimmiyun means those disbelievers who are 
uh, in the dhimma and in the protection of the Muslim Khilafah. They, you know, this is a, it gets a lot of bad rep, the jizya. You know, the jizya tax was so minimal, it was like couple gold coins for how long protection? For the entire year. Entire year, a few gold coins they would give. And then they get their, their house are protected, their lives are, their lives, their dima'uhum amwalahum, meaning their blood and their wealth, and aradahum, uh, their honor, and their religion, freedom of religion too. All of these are protected, and they're exempted from military service, and they don't give zakat. That's all they have to give. Zakat is for the believers. So they are the name that they have is Dhimmiyun from the Dhimma. That means they are responsibility. And Umar when he was assassinated by Dhimmi, Firoz Abu Lulu, when he was dying, he didn't want any reprisal, revenge attacks on the Zimmi population. That you Zimmis, you killed our Khalifa. So when he was dying, he said to make sure that you honor the non-Muslim residents of Medina and do not take out your anger against them. So anyway, the Zimmis, Al-Muslimun, Salimun, Muslimun, you have to also Saliman, Zimmiyun. Then you have the, those who are residents in Dar al-Harb, outside Dar al-Islam. Islam, they are divided into two, the Harbi and the Muslim, and, and, the, and the one with whom there is Sulah. Meaning if there is a treaty signed with the non-Muslims, again, they fall under Mansalim and Muslimun, because they, you have entered a treaty with them. And if the non-Muslim, he comes to visit the Dar al-Islam as a business visa, tourist visa, right, in the past as well, they would have a visa. That person is called a Musta'man. His title is Musta'man from Aman. He is the one who has been granted aman, safe passage. You may tour the Dar Islam. Then there's no borders. All the way from the western Andalusia, from Spain to the east is all one. One Islamic Khilafat in the past. Banu Abbasia, Banu Umayyah time. So, or even the Uthmani time, the last one. So he can travel the entire Dar Islam and he has a, he's called a Musta'man. He's also Mansalim al-Musta'minin. So Muslimun, Dhimmiyun, Musta'minun. Then you have the Harbi from Dar al-Harb in active battle. What are you going to do there? You're going to say Al-Muslim and Salim Allah? No, that's the only one that is not included here. When there is a non-Muslim Harbi and there is an active battle taking place, obviously in the battlefield, he's coming out with his weapons to kill you. And you know, it's a matter of kill or be killed at that point. So they're the only one that is exempted from this. Allah and then you have Milisani Wadi from his tongue in his hand. The scholars say that the, the, uh, the pain inflicted by the tongue is more severe than that by the hand, and that is the reason it's been mentioned first. The wounds inflicted by the spears can eventually heal. And the wound inflicted by the tongue will never heal unless Allah makes it heal. So this is. Um, the reason the tongue has been mentioned before the hand, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from uh, utilizing your tongue in such a manner that will be uh, hurting any individual. And then it goes on, and the true muhajir is the one who abstains from that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, prohibited. We talked about the different forms of hijrah, hijrah from Darul al-Kufr to Darul al-Islam, Darul al-Harb to Darul al-Islam, Darul al-Aman. I believe you had these discussions. And then it goes on, Oh, there's this other sanad. I was, I think, subhanAllah, we should maybe stop with this. It's been too 
or I'll just briefly mention a few points about this so that it is not that we just stuck on that one hadith that we had actually begun last time. This is a new one. I'll make this a few minutes and, and we'll make a dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wa bin sanad al-Muntasil minna ilal imam minhuma Muhammad Ismail al-Bukhari rahimullah. Qala hadathana Amr ibn Khalid. Qala hadathana al-Layth an Yazid an Abi al-Khair. An Abdullah ibn Amr radiyallahu anhu an rajul sa'ana Nabiya sallallahu alaihi wasallam ayyul Islami khair. Which form of Islam is the best? Qala tut'imu al-Ta'am that you should feed food. And that you should say the salam to those who you know and those whom you don't know. So just a highlight for the next time. There is this whole beautiful discussion and in the discussion we will learn a lot of things on the side as typically we've been doing about this whole genre of, of so many different practices when it is asked which is the best one. And Nabi Wasallam gives so many different answers every time. Not every single time, but many times he's giving different answers. Why? So what are the different answers he gave? Over here, of course, he says, But we don't just stop with the, what's here, right? We want to study all the other ones. So there's a long discussion I was planning to go into, but inshallah next time. Which one Islam is the best? Sometimes he says, Sometimes he says, taking parents. Sometimes he says, Salatu ala waqtiha. So he gives Salat on his appointed time. Sometimes he says, Al-Jihad fi sabillah. So first you're going to cover all the... Uh, highlights for next time Inshallah Aziz If Allah gives tawfiyah What are the different actions Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said They are the best We cover them Then the question would be Why is he giving different answers Is it different because of his particular state at that time Or is it different because of the state of the person Who is answering the question Or is it different because of the state of the condition of the time around So And then different So uh, Different ahwal of the mutakallim speaker Different ahwal of the muhatab The one being addressed Or different ahwal of the of zaman of the, of the time And this is to interpret all of these hadith. And then also, how does that apply in our life? When the condition changes, the hukum may change. Like da'wah fi sabirillah is so virtuous. And then now, you know, it's last 10 days of Ramadan. So which one is more virtuous? Etikaf or something else? Or like, um, subhanAllah. Abdullah bin Abbas ta'ala somebody came to ask him for some need. And what did he do? He left the itikaf and he ran out. And someone said, hey, you're an itikaf, you're going out to help someone. He said that, uh, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told me the virtues of helping somebody versus itikaf. What is the hadith? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give so much more reward than helping someone else. So you take that hadith and you apply it to the last 10 days of Ramadan, it's incorrect. Why? Because Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never left the masjid in the last 10 days of Ramadan. One year he missed it and then he did it. Qada of it. So this is, hadith is about nafal itikaf. So depending on the situation, the time, the hukum changes. Depending on the mutakallim, the hukum changes, the ruling changes. Depending on who is being addressed. So we're going to cover that. Likewise, we have on the opposite side. What is the biggest zulm? So this is a wording comes in the Quran so many times. Woman adlamu mimman min iftara ala kaziba. Woman adlamu mimman mana masajidullah. Woman adlamu. Who can be a greater zalim than this one? Who can be a greater zalim than the other one? Wait a second. There's only one most zalim, right? So how do we reconcile this? So we're going to, inshallah, talk about that. And of course, the general meaning of the hadith is there. That we should feed food. Then the question, who do you feed? Is it feeding Muslim or non-Muslim? Feeding ulama, feeding sulaha, fasiqeen, feeding hungry? And the nature feeding, etc. When is it farad? When is it sadaqah? And saying salam. What is the meaning of salam? Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Salam al and salam al wada. Right, there's an initial salam. When you see someone, it's the first salam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And then the final salam, like goodbye salam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa idha khatabahumul jahiluna qalu 
Salama. When you see, when you meet, interact with the jahil, ignorant people, what do you say? Salam. Which one? Tahiya or Wada? Wada. Farewell. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> no, so, the, so we're not saying, this is the because we're at the end now. So we're going to say, Assalamu alaikum. Do you remember in the beginning I said, Assalamu alaikum? I did say, Assalamu alaikum. So you're supposed to say, Assalamu alaikum in the beginning, and then we're saying, Salam at the end. There's, subhanAllah, in Jannah also. Salamun qawlam min Rabbil Rahim. And, Ulmalaikatu yadhuluna alihim min kulli bab. Salamun alaikum bima sabartum fayaniyama uqbaddar. Tahiyyatuhum fiha. Salam. So there's salam from Rabbul Rahim, there's salam of Malaika, there's salam of Ahlul Jannah to Ahlul Jannah. Salam and salama. May Allah grant us Dar salam, the place of salam. Peace of salam alaikum. And then the ahkam of salam. Can you say salam to everyone? No. Wassalamu ala man al huda. For the disbelievers, you say assalamu ala man al huda. Anyway, these are all highlights for next time. We're going too long with the highlights. And to those whom you know and those whom you don't know, inshallah. We will try to study this hadith next time. May Allah subhanahu wa give us tawfiq. Please forgive me for all the you know, just random tangents and rants. And, but may Allah ta'ala accept all of your sabr, jameel, that you have been making here. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli ala sallam Muhammad wa ala ala sallam Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. اللهم اجعل اجتماعنا هذا اجتماع مرحوما واجعل تفرغنا بعده وتفرغا معصوما ولا تعفينا ولا منا ولا معنا شغي ولا محروما اللهم حبب إلينا الإيمان وسينه في قلوبنا وكره إلينا الكفر والفسوق والعسيان اللهم اجعلنا من الراشدين O Allah, grant us true understanding of the deen. O Allah, this beautiful deen, the beautiful ilm that your Nabi Wasallam has brought and has taught us. As he said, Inna I've been sent as a teacher of mankind. O Allah, allow us to enjoy this ilm, study this ilm, implement it, and O Allah, share this with others, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, O Allah, there's so many wrong interpretations that are prevalent in the ummah and people are propagating the wrong understanding of the deen. Protect us from falling into those fitan, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Grant us the faham sahih, correct understanding, and, uh, and then follow, allow us to follow it up with correct uh, practice, with ikhlas and istighama and stilfats, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, oh Allah, we cannot forget to make du'as for all of those who are suffering from the earthquakes and different trials, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, another earthquake that has happened, oh Allah, protect them and protect us. O Allah, grant them sabr jameel. Elevate their status, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Elevate their status, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, O Allah, O Allah, do not test us as you have tested them. O Allah, adim ni'mat al-aman wal-amana alina, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, we seek your protection from zalazil wal-fitan. O Allah, from fujati naqmatik, from your sudden anger, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, O Allah, Allahumma inna na'udhu bika min zawali ni'matik wa tahawwali afiyatik. O Allah, we seek your protection. Min zawali ni'matik that your blessings that you have granted us are taken away, and tahawali afiyatik that the afia and meaning the salama and and safety you have granted us that you take it away from us, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, continue to keep us and our families and our loved ones in our masajid and our madaris and our marakis of da'wah and all the efforts of Deen. O Allah, keep all of us protected and safe in this country and throughout the world, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, O Allah. O Allah, those who are tested with a test of sabr, grant them, O Allah, success in that, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, protect them from any future further, O Allah, O Allah, pain and affliction, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, O Allah, O Allah, grant them such lofty status in Jannah uh, that, O Allah, O Allah, that they will never remember any of this pain that they're going through right now, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, allow us to have the topi to help them in their time of need, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Create this as an opportunity for the Ummah to come together to help each other, Ya Rabbil Alameen. سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين الحمد لله